It's August 29, 2023. Time for episode 228 of the Sports Market Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub. I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> I had to check to see what day it was. Again, it's it's all starting to run together. Um, work and whole bunch of other stuff but uh it happens to the best of us but we'll we'll get through it best way we can um let's start with the uh, major league baseball today so we'll talk a little bit mlb just kind of recapping some stuff looking at the current playoff picture so i had to go back and remind myself how the major league baseball playoffs work now you know on this show i'm always kind of poking fun at myself because of you know i'm a little bit older And I remember a simpler time in baseball where there were fewer teams in the playoffs. And I sort of remembered a little bit about how the playoffs work. I know that there uh, you've got your divisional series, then you've got your um, championship series and then uh, no wild card divisional, then championship series. Okay, so it's three rounds. So I said, all right, how many freaking teams are in this damn thing? So just to recap, 12 teams. So six teams, National League and American League. So those six teams are your three division winners. So East, Central and West. And of course, your three wild cards. So let's look at the AL uh, American League first. So currently Baltimore. So Baltimore is currently first in the AL East. They have a 626 winning percentage. They will be the first seed. Tampa Bay is second in the AL East. They have a 606 winning percentage. Both of these teams, the, the the Orioles and the Rays, will go to the divisional series. They get a bye right to the divisional series, and they'll be in the opposite brackets. So, three, Seattle. They're currently in the West. Fourth is Texas, which I believe is second in the West. Minnesota will be the sixth seed. Houston will be the five seeds. I think Houston, I let's see, if I remember, Houston is leading Central. So, your wild card matchups would be Seattle versus Minnesota and Texas versus Houston. And Baltimore will get the winner of Texas Houston, Seattle, Minnesota winner will play Tampa Bay. So that's kind of how the AL is looking over to the National League, Atlanta, first in the AL East. They have a 654 winning percentage. Los Angeles, number one in the West, 623 winning percentage. Same with the American League. Those two teams will move on to the divisional. So your third C will be the Brewers of Milwaukee. They will take on Arizona, who's currently second by like a big margin uh, in the NL West. So they'll play those two teams will play. And then Chicago and Philly will play each other in the four five matchup. So Atlanta will get the winner of Philly, Chicago again, if the saying it, this all ended today. So that's kind of what we're looking at. So I, I guess in some ways I'm trying to kind of recap everything that's going on to date because we'll kind of go through some 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 teams and not not all of MLB but some teams in just a second and what's happening and how the season's going to kind of come to an end here and then three six will get uh Los Angeles uh in the divisional series Baltimore Baltimore has a little bit of work to do so currently they only have a two and a half game lead over Tampa Bay so again they're still about I did the math the other day about 30 some games to go give or take so there's a lot of real estate, a lot of time to where, God forbid, a lot can go wrong for the Orioles. But they've really been playing some good baseball. Now, their uh, their closer is on the IL. Um, they've really been hitting the baseball really well. The pitching's held up. I mean, it hasn't been fantastic, but it's been enough. But here's the other thing I say every year about this time, that once we get in the playoff mode, 
you say, okay, Baltimore's your top seed, Atlanta's your top seed, you've got Los Angeles at two in the, you know, in the NL, you've got uh, Tampa Bay is second in the AL, uh, you know, once we kind of get, damn it, once we get into uh, playoff mode, the seedings to me don't really matter. And, and, and I'll say that because what happens? We know that typically the team that is playing the best baseball in, in, you know, once the playoffs start is pretty much going to win this thing. It's never been a clear-cut case of, oh, well, the number one seed in this league or the two seed in that league is going to win this thing. I mean, for all we know, this thing could be Minnesota and Chicago, for all we know, when this thing's all over. Now, that would be wild to have a cold weather <laughs> World Series. And, and it's not the first time it I don't think it's the first time it's happened. It's but, you know, hopefully I haven't looked at the, the playoff schedule, but I think the last couple of years they've managed to get the World Series finished in October, which is actually I'm good with that. That's really when they should be playing the World Series. But for the most part, going back to Baltimore, they've got some work to do Two and a half game lead over Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay always a, a dangerous team, always plays very well, and they really turn it on during uh, playoff time. So again, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch the AL East, uh, the AL East race kind of coming down uh, the home stretch of the season. The Yankees, oh my God, the bottom completely fell out on the Yankees, and really, you kind of think about, you know, the start was pretty good it kind of just started to decline with the injuries with the you know having to backfill guys to you know with injuries the pitching was up and down um it would I would say it would be no surprise to anyone if the Yankees just clean house I mean I think that's probably what's going to happen that's the expectation I mean I would be surprised if it didn't happen but you think Cashman's gone Boone's going to be gone then they got to evaluate uh, the talent as far as their farm system. And I, I remember that some time ago that they did a, um, I think MLB and a number, a couple other publications, they did a evaluation of you know, who were the best farm systems in baseball. And the Yankees uh, fall anywhere from 13th to 24th. So I think about the midpoint is about 19 as far as, you know, who, depending on who's doing the rating. But um, I kind of think of it as I as I wrote this down and I thought about it more. I feel like evaluating farm talent is a lot like um, when you um, look at recruiting rankings in, in college sports and it only tells you some of the story. Like to talk about recruiting, it, we, we say, OK, here's the talent coming in. But the question is, can you, as I always say, can you cultivate that talent? Can you push it to the level to get your team to, you know, playing at a championship level. So, I mean, I thought about it. I said, well, you know, farm talent is farm talent. I mean, you know, the, the Yankees, they always have good talent in the pipeline. But then you also have to think of, okay, you know, they have, I think, one of, if not the biggest payrolls in baseball. So you think, okay, who's going to be back on that, on that bench next year? You know, there's guys that are mainstays. Then they got to think, who can they bring in? to kind of get this franchise back to the levels in which they are accustomed to. So we all know that, you know, and, and as our good friend of the show, Dre said, you know, it's championship or bust for the Yankees always, always, always. And, you know, it's, it's been, you know, it's been disappointing to watch. I mean, um, 
you know, that's a franchise that, you know, the tradition. And when you see franchises like, you know, a Yankees franchise or the Red Sox or, you know, some of these, you know, well-known longtime franchises in baseball, you know, when you see them kind of fall to the wayside, you kind of say, ah, you know, that's that's rough. That's crazy. But it, it, it's happening now. And, and there's a lot of work to be done uh, by the Yankees to get this thing kind of back on the right track. Um, the White Sox. Good Lord. Their clubhouse is toxic. It has gone straight to you know where they fired a couple upper level guys a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, the White Sox, I mean, we, we talk about the Yankees. They're, they're in a much better position as far as, you know, they've got, you know, talent in the clubhouse. They've got talent on the farm. They've just got to, you know, kind of bring in, you know, re reshuffle the pieces. The White Sox, it feels like they've just got to just blow the whole thing up and start over. It's bad. I mean, remember Tim Anderson, you know, got his jaw rocked uh, in a game and, you know, it's just been just downhill. I mean, they hired Tony La Russa a couple of years ago. He resigned. And I, and I and when that happened, I, I was very puzzled. And I thought that was probably one of the worst decisions they could have made. I mean, yes, the man has a pedigree in baseball, but I mean, he's as old school as they can get. And then you think, how is he going to relate to this team of young guys and get them motivated to win? But at the same time, too, if you know, all the pieces aren't there or all the pieces aren't on board, then, you know, bringing in, you could bring in, you know, anybody, greatest manager on, on the planet or somebody brand new who has the chops to manage. It's not going to matter. They're not going to win. So uh, it be interesting to see uh, what the White Sox do. Um, the A's have officially been eliminated from the playoffs. They are currently at 38 and 94. They are 37 and a half games behind in the AL West and they're moving to Vegas is moving to Vegas going to change their fortunes? I seriously doubt it, but we will see how that's going to go because, of course, um, <laughs> I mean, 37 and a half games uh, in the playoffs. And if you want to talk about a franchise that is bereft of talent, there you go. I think look no further than the soon-to-be, are they still going to be the Las Vegas A's? I, I don't know. But anyway, the soon-to-be former Oakland A's or the franchise formerly known as the Oakland A's. Um, moving on to the National League, uh, the Mets, um, another team that has to get off the schneid. I mean, they got Justin Verlander. They made some other moves and Verlander's back in Houston. And they're just I mean, they have just they started out OK. I wouldn't say they were on top of things, but they just kind of weren't on the top of the tier. And then it just they just slid on down from that point there. So the Mets still are in this position where they've got to really answer a lot of questions and really just evaluate what the heck is going on in that franchise. Um, the nationals, I mean, I just have question marks next to the nationals. Like seriously, I mean, I've always said that I felt like Mike Rizzo as a general manager, he makes a lot of questionable decisions. I'm not, I was a big Mike Rizzo fan. Now I'm not, I mean, I feel like his decision-making is just horrific, but whatever um and you know they have a decent farm system but again it only goes so far you have to kind of think about what is happening at the managerial and the coaching level to make the talent work so again a lot of these problems i see you know just kind of speaking globally and generally it's just you know like any sports team you got to put the right pieces together in order for it all to for it all to work 
Um, the Phillies, man, I mean, it was not looking good when they started. I mean, but they are in a much better place than when they started the season. Now, mind you, they are, yes, they are in second place in the NL East, but they are 12 and a half games out of this thing. I mean, now, per what we just talked about, if this thing ended today or if they continue on this track, they're going to make the playoffs. So that's good for them. Can they kind of pick up and win the National League again? Again, it's all baseball is such a crapshoot. It was never this. What am I trying to say? It was never really this um, hard to figure out who's going to win the World Series. I felt like when there were less teams, um, it was much easier. Now, again, again, you get the right team at the right time, start hitting the ball, start pitching well. Anybody can win this thing. But who knows? The Phillies might be able to pull this thing out. Um, the Cubs are second place in NL Central, another team that had a really rough start, and they've kind of just been up and down all season. So they're five games back, second place in NL Central. So I figured the Cubs might have a shot to kind of maybe win the Central. Who knows? Put some, they put themselves in a better position in the playoffs. But again, we'll, we'll keep our eye on it. And of course, the NL West, it's pretty much the Dodgers and everybody else. And that's usually, I feel like that's the way it's been for quite some time. Let's move over to the WNBA. So let's look at the games from Sunday and last night. So on Sunday, the Sun over the Sparks, 83-68. Alyssa Thomas, the double-double machine, goes 17 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. And Azure Stevens goes for 17 for the Sparks. Uh, Fever over Dream, 83-80. Christy Wallace goes for a career-high 20. Cheyenne Parker goes for 24-10 and 10 for Atlanta. In this game, Aaliyah Boston leaves the game with a right thumb injury. We'll update uh, her status a little bit later. I didn't get a chance to see what her status was, but we're hoping she's okay. I, you know, as I talked about the last show, you know, I think she is definitely everyone's choice or should be everyone's choice for Rookie of the Year. Wings over Mercury, 77-74. Arike Agumbonwale goes for 29. Mariah Jefferson leads Phoenix with 20. With this loss, Phoenix moved to 9 and 25 they have been eliminated from the playoffs because of that this snaps the longest active streak in the league they went to the playoffs for 10 consecutive seasons they were tied for the second longest in league history the Lynx went for 11 straight seasons from 2011 to 2021 think about what this team has gone through so Vanessa Nygaard got booted roughly about 10 games in Nikki Blue has been doing a great job trying to keep this thing afloat. She is hoping to get consideration to be the permanent head coach, have the interim tag removed. I hope she gets it. But again, this new ownership in Phoenix, I talked about them uh, some time ago. So, you know, when Matt Ishbia bought uh, the Phoenix franchise, you know, again, the first thing that happened is Monty Williams was out the door, which I, I, I felt some kind of way about that. But then I said, you know, keep an eye on what's going to happen with the Mercury, because if things don't come up to snuff, new ownership, they have no reason that they can say we want to keep Vanessa Nygaard on board. They didn't wait very long. They let her go. I got a bad feeling that they're going to go looking outside of the franchise for a new coach. And that's unfortunate. But I mean, again, that's kind of what typically happens in these situations. I guess, you know, Nikki Blue is doing her thing. But I guess they probably want uh, more so a new set of eyes, a new vision uh, for this team. Now, coupled with that, Skylar Diggins Smith, she's out maternity leave. And there's been a lot of I, I was going to say cryptic tweets, but not cryptic. She's been really saying a lot. And 
what she's been saying more or less sounds like Phoenix really isn't doing right by her considering she's out uh, having, I believe, her second child. So, you know, she's been training, but she kind of has said she hasn't really felt very supportive. She has really, really been feeling the love from the franchise. So that's not good. Uh, Sophie Cunningham in the game against the Wings was injured. We'll review. We'll update her status later. Um, also, Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner have only played 25 games each this season. So couple with all those pieces and they've kind of been moving some players in and out. They've had some players come in on uh, hardship contracts to kind of help out with roster management. All that they are one and 15 on the road. They are eight and 10 at home. So because of that, you know, that nine and 25 record, they are last uh, in the league. So again, this, you know, again, here's a story, a franchise with great players, WNBA titles are just falling on hard times right now. Uh, last game from Sunday, Sky Over the Storm, 90 to 85. Elizabeth Williams goes for 23 for Chicago. Sammy Whitcomb and Jewel Lloyd each had 19 points each. With this game, with the loss, Seattle was eliminated from the playoffs. So they are at 10 and 25 in 11th place, and it breaks their seven-year playoff streak from 2016 to 2022. So now the longest active playoff streak, playoff appearance streak in the WNBA now belongs to the Connecticut Sun. Their streak is current uh, from 2017 until now. Last night in Brooklyn, New York over Vegas, 94 to 85. I believe this is the last time these two teams will meet until sometime in the playoffs, potentially the WNBA Finals. Sabrina Ionescu goes for 25 for the Liberty, and Jackie Young leads the Aces with 24 points. Let's move over to track and field. The World Championships ended on Sunday in Budapest. Man, let me tell you something. Let's, let's go to the men first. Noah Lyles, man, he had quite a, a world championship. Took gold in the 100, the 200, and anchored the 4x100 relay team. I mean, Noah Lyles, that man, I mean, I mean, he has a very you know friendly relationship with Usain Bolt. And Bolt, they show, I saw a video of them two talking a few, um, maybe a few months ago. And he was just encouraging him, you know, man, stay doing you, do the things that you do. And man, that was a great race. That uh, that 100 race. He, no, I watched the 200 race. That 200 race, man, he just no problem. Smoked everybody. Just great stuff here. But the big story for me, Shakari Richardson, she wins gold in the 100. She anchored the four by 100 relay. Uh, she anchored the four by 100 relay and won gold. And she got 200 in the bronze. The bronze race was insane. I forget the young lady's name from Jamaica. Um, they showed uh, pictures of her and Shakari, you know, you know, you know, acknowledging each other, giving hugs, giving love. Um, but uh, that young lady, that that race was over before it started. I mean, she smoked everybody in the field. Gabby Thomas from USA. She won silver in that race. So we got two and three in that race. But let me say this. Shakari Richardson Considering everything that's happened, I mean, you know, she she burst on the scene and she, you know, had the the issues, the you know, the controversy. Um, then, you know, there was the point in time where, you know, she wasn't uh, I, I guess you could say she wasn't in her bag and she was having some issues and, um, you know, she was losing races bad and it, it just wasn't looking good. But I'm going to tell you, she looks very focused. And I'm really happy to see it. She's talented. Um, I, I just really like her 
because one of the things I'm seeing now is beforehand, you kind of saw the confidence. It was there. It was outwards. And sometimes, you know, most of us will probably agree that we don't like our athletes too cocky. (laughs) Okay, and I like confidence. You can be a little cocky, but you don't show it right now. Sha'Carri Richardson, she is she's 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 holding it well. She's steady like you see it, but it's all she's focused. And I think she's going to really do some big things in the Olympics. I, I, I pray and I, and I feel good that the focus for her will stay intact and she's going to go out there and do some big things. But, man, she really did some great stuff at the World Championships. And it was really, really great to see. And I, I'm excited. And, and I like track. I ran track a long time ago. And, um, and I've always enjoyed track and field in the Olympics anyway. But, man, I cannot wait until the next Olympics, whenever the heck that is. I know it's soon, but, you know, I hadn't even thought that far ahead. I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I just want to talk briefly about her performance, knowing the world championships are here. The Olympics can't be too far behind. But, I mean, look out for her. She's going to be really uh, doing some great stuff. But there, there was controversy. I'm doing air quotes and it really wasn't anything. I mean, you know, she talked to certain members of the press. She shunned others and people wanted to make a big deal out of it. And I say, you know, big whoop de doo you know, um, because what I'm really, really finding more so happening with a lot of members of the press is they really they were they were really ask dumb questions and questions that don't have anything to do with anything or they're trying to go with a certain answer out of you. Um, before we take a break, I kind of remembered this kind of to that point. Um, there was a, um, I believe, at the World Cup, they asked a question of one of the members of, I forget what team, I want to say it was Morocco, I believe. And they asked her about something about her members, her teammates who are LGBTQ. And the way that the it was, I think it was a BBC journalist, and the way the question was asked, it was asked in such a way that if she answered the question, she was more or less outing her teammates. And I'm going, wait a minute. So from a team where many of the uh, members of the team are Muslim, and you're going to ask this question, are you insane? But it's that that kind of thing that I think. You know, those types of questions, those goading questions, those those questions that really don't have a lot to do with sport. Those things are, I think, the types of things that Sha'Carri Richardson was trying to avoid, that she wanted to remain uh, in a a good mental plane. She wanted to stay focused and, and, you know, answer questions in a way that were related to what she's doing on the track. Off the track, you know, it seems as if she said, look, I ain't trying to do that anymore. I'm trying to, you know. Keep the focus on the training and doing well and keep bringing home gold medals. And I say applause to her um, for just such great work and her and Noah Lyles and the rest of the U.S. US team, because we're usually pretty solid uh, in the uh, in track and field. We're usually pretty solid. And uh, I think we're really going to do some good stuff uh, in the upcoming Olympics. All right. When we come back, we're going to recap NASCAR. It's playoff time and then we'll get to college football, some news and notes. And we'll do our Thursday night picks for this week as we continue week one of the season. Stay tuned.
All right, everybody, welcome back. So let's move on to NASCAR. Chris Buescher from RFK Racing wins the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona in overtime. This is his third win of the season. So overtime, how this came about, it, completely nuts. So uh, Ryan Priest, uh, I, so if I remember what happened here, he was in a barrel roll accident. So he, uh, and actually I turned away from the TV for a second to tend to something. I come back and I see a car that looked like it had just been through the ringer in the infield. And what happened is he uh, got clipped. He went sideways, hit the infield, and his car barrel rolled uh, on lap 162. He was evaluated and released from the hospital on Sunday, so he's fine. He got out of the car. So the big thing is seeing a wreck like that. They hit, they red flagged it. And I think, you know, obviously the crowd was waiting and hoping that he would get get out of the car he did which was you know excellent 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 you definitely want to see that because it was if you watch the replay it was nasty i have not seen a uh car wreck on a racetrack on on, on any level of sport like that in quite a while so it kind of shows you uh on a couple uh on a couple fronts number one that you know having that kind of uh incident and walking away from it um, shows you that these cars, you know, again, IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, these cars are extremely safe. They're designed for that. They're designed for speed and safety as well. So he got out. No problem. I'm sure there was probably some some issues. But for the most part, he walked away from that crash. So once the restart happened in overtime, Busher led two laps, which I consider and I think anyone who watched that race would be considered the most important uh, uh, two laps to, uh, to to lead, and on top of that, he got a push from his teammate and boss at RFK Racing, Brad Keselowski. So that is good from the standpoint of Busher gets his third win of the season. That is the scenario that I talked about in the last show for Bubba Wallace to get into the playoffs. There had to be a repeat winner. And for a little while, it was looking like there was going to be a brand new winner. Uh, on the circuit in the final race of the season. It didn't happen. So with that repeat winner, Bubba Wallace gets into the playoff on points. He is in the 16th position. So we'll run through the um, the playoff order in just a minute. So the order finishes. Remember, Chris Buescher first. His boss, Brad Keselowski, finished second. Eric, Eric Amarola finishes third. Chase Elliott fourth. Joe Logano fifth. Uh, Keselowski and Buescher are the first teammates to finish one and two since 2024. Now, other business to be tended to. Martin Truex Jr. wins the regular season championship. This is the second time for him on the circuit. So Sunday, we start the first round of the playoffs, the round of 16. That's with the cookout Southern 500, 6 p.m. from Darlington on USA. So there'll be three races in the round of 16. So we'll start at Darlington. Now, the way this works is very simple. You win, you advance to the round of 12. And then, of course, if there are winners who are non-playoff uh, participants, then it's by points based on order of finish. And then when it's all said and done, if no one uh, who's in the playoffs wins a race, because remember that happened last season, there were several non-playoff drivers who won a race, then the points will determine advancement. Now, again, I've said this. I kind of feel some kind of way or it's weird to me that you got 16 drivers, but we're going to say let all 30 some of them or 40, however many they are who would race on a particular uh, Saturday or Sunday, let them all race. But we're going to see of those 40 drivers, will a playoff uh, a play, will a playoff driver win? Now, 
as I think about it, I get I guess there's more of a challenge if there's for the 40 other people to compete with. So I get it. But I don't know. I just feel like the 16 drivers who are involved should just duke it out and then we'll just let it all settle out uh, when it's all over. All right. So let's look at the 16 drivers who participate, who are the playoff uh, drivers. So from one to 16, your top eight, William Byron, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, third, Chris Buescher at four, Kyle Busch, five, Kyle Larson, six, Christopher Bell, seven, and Ross Chastain at eight. Nine through 16, Brad, Brad Keselowski, Tyler Reddick, Joy Logano, Ryan Blaney, Michael McDowell, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Bubba Wallace. So those last two did not win a race. Everyone else, um, I believe, I'm pretty sure, won at least one race. I think William Byron won like five races this year. So again, I, you know, the more repeat winners there are, you get racers, you know, uh, drivers like Kevin Harvick last year on the, last year on the circuit, and of course Bubba Wallace uh, get in on points. And I believe that is a I think 2311 with Wallace and Reddick, both uh, Jordan's team, both get both of their drivers into the playoffs. So that, that's awesome. And of course, Denny Hamlin, who's third, he races for Joe Gibbs. He's actually a part owner of 2311. So a lot of 2311 action happening here, but you love to see it. And, uh, you know, Bubba, as I mentioned in the last show, he's he's run some really good races. I felt early in the season and kind of towards the middle like he was just really losing a lot of ground off a of pit road which is really where you want to make up ground especially between um between stages and also on uh yellow flags when there's you know caution flags or true caution flags so um i'm hoping that he can you know get either a, a win here in one of the three first first round races six round 16 races or he can race hard enough get some top five finishes and kind of push his way uh, into the round of 12. All right, so let's move over to college football. So some news and notes from college football, the ACC expansion. So we talked about this conference realignment expansion and all this hot garbage on the last show. There's an update from the ACC. So the quote is there is, quote, continued momentum towards the league adding Stanford, Cal and SMU. Now, SMU kind of makes sense. I, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm stretching a little bit here. Stanford and Cal, come on. That's it's absolutely absurd. I mean, again, no disrespect. They are, you know, you, when you look at the ACC, there are a number of very high IQ academic institutions, and Stanford and Cal are amongst those, you know, nationwide high IQ institutions but to have ACC teams on the West Coast, and I think I alluded to this on the last show, you know, what are we doing? Like, how are we benefiting student athletes by saying, oh, well, you know, you got to, you know, fly out of here on a Tuesday to play, uh, you know, a Stanford and a Cal. So you kind of make, if you're going to do all that work, you might as well just make it a, a twofer and just do the tour. But you got to fly out here on a Tuesday to play Stanford and Cal on a Thursday and a, and a Saturday. It's, it's logistically, it's crazy. You're spending more money, you know, to kind of not just fly, but you're spending more money to arrange that the players are there for a few days, that you have transportation to and from where they're staying because you go down to Palo Alto, then you go to uh, Berkeley. 
I know they're relatively close. I don't know what what would be the most, the least crazy path to get there, but you get the idea if you understand and know, um, uh, you know, the the geography of these Pac-12 schools. However, um, this is where we are, and the, and there had been some discussion for quite a while. So uh, the report is saying a vote could occur very soon among member school presidents and chancellors. And here's the crazy part. And again, maybe it's that whole, you know, we don't want to expand. And then, of course, uh, I think uh, UNC's athletic director, Bubba Cunningham, had some choice words for Florida State a few weeks ago because there was this talk that Florida State was talking that, well, maybe we might get out of here and go to SEC. And he's kind of going to look all that talk in the middle of all this where conferences are falling apart and realigning. We don't need that talk right now. We just, you know, I guess he was trying to say we need to stay unified. And he's right. I I totally agree with uh, Bubba Cunningham on that, that um, the ACC kind of needs to uh, stay unified. And also, you know, as football season starts up and I was listening to uh, Mark Packer and Taylor Tannenbaum on ACC PM yesterday and you know, with Miami, we'll use Miami as an example. You know, this is year two under uh, Mario Cristobal. And Miami is that program that you know what they're capable of and you know what they've done. They've got the history. There's so much talent in South Florida and South Florida. And they're getting those guys. I mean, they are getting good talent. But now the question is, as we always say, can you bring them in? Can you coach them up? Can you turn this program back into the powerhouse that it once was the ACC needs that because that's the talk everyone's like the ACC who wants to who wants to play them I mean it's pretty much Clemson and everybody else and then Florida State's you know Florida State's making some hay they're working their way back into the conversation slowly but surely um I think this is going to be a critical year for Florida State um they've got to really do something to challenge Clemson if Miami manages to make this interesting the ACC is viable again because let me see. I'm trying to think. Other than Clemson, who else has made inroads into the college uh, the college football playoff? No one, honestly. I mean, I can't think of anybody other than Clemson who's been to CFP and won the darn thing. Other than that, until further notice, it's Clemson and everybody else. Like seriously, so that's kind of why I think there's you know from Bubba Cunningham there was the talk that you got we got to stay united. But that that's only part of the equation. The other part of it is simply that, you know, and, and that's out of the control of anybody, you know, the, the administrators. It's down to the coaches that the uh, football teams have to play better. They have to play up to that level. I mean, you think about SEC versus ACC. Come on. I mean, no disrespect, but it, it's two different sides of the coin. You know, the SEC is killing it. I mean, you know, people are talking that Alabama is uh, Alabama's the, was it the the dynasty is dead? Are you insane? Nick Saban's still the coach, right? I mean, there's no way that Alabama is out of the conversation. There's no way. Um, and for, for for someone to say that, I think is just absolutely absurd. Um, you know, Alabama, Georgia's going for a three-peat, which has not been done, but a number of teams have have gotten close to it whether they i think i read an article where i think what michigan state did it almost did it in like the 70s but it's like they went like 
one year they went undefeated, another year they lost one game and still won the national title or something. And then the third year they went like three and nine. It's so so it's either teams just got stopped by another team or the team stopped themselves, whatever the case may be. So this is for Georgia unprecedented territory. But you think about it. Kirby Smart left Alabama, took the blueprint, went to Georgia. And here we are. And now everyone's saying that, you know, Georgia is, you know, obviously the team to beat. They're number one in the country. But to say that Alabama's dead, no. But the SEC is the premier league in football. You got, okay, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee's on the come up. Um, Jeez, what's going to happen to A&M? If the offense finally makes some inroads, A&M's back in the conversation. So there's a, you know, there's, you know, a lot of teams in the SEC with a lot of talent, some are right there. Others are kind of getting their way back into the groove. But the ACC, as we said, it's literally one, maybe two teams making this interesting. I mean, if we go back to the ACC, it's Clemson. Okay, UNC has the potential to do some big things this year. Drake May's back. My God, I mean, that guy had a phenomenal freshman season. Who's to say he can't do that again or better? Um NC State, a lot of people are saying NC State, this is their year to do something big. Dave Doran, he's had that team on the doorstep. They've got a great defense. They've got Brandon Armstrong as our quarterback. He transferred from Virginia. He's reunited with Robert Anai, his offensive coordinator. So who's to say what they're going to do? Duke, Mike Elko. I knew, I just had a really good feeling about Mike Elko getting hired at Duke, and he, he, he delivered. And Duke returns a lot of guys they did a little bit of transfer portal work duke's in the conversation and who do they get night one they get clemson in their house at wallace wade outdoor stadium so if duke goes and makes clemson's life hell that first night the acc is really going to be interesting to watch and potentially the acc will get i'm not saying the acc is disrespected in football but they'll get a little more respect compare in comparison to say the Big 12, the SEC, and even the Big 10. So you've got all these other conferences, but the ACC is like a one-trick pony. And so um, that's kind of why I feel like the football piece of it and staying united in that way that Bubba Cunningham talked about is very important. Um, But nevertheless, going back to this expansion talk, um, because they're saying a vote could happen, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and NC State it seems like one of those schools was objecting to to expansion. So it seems like one of those schools is more likely going could potentially going to change their vote in favor of expansion to bring in these three new schools. Um, so the way this works out, if this goes through, SMU will join the league. But here's the thing. They will get no TV revenue uh, from the league for seven years. Cal and Stanford, they will join and get a 30% revenue share. So, again, that could be due to whatever current agreements that are currently in place. I don't know the story behind that, but that's kind of what makes sense to me. So because of that, that will build up a pool of about 50 to 60 million dollars. That money will be divided among the schools and then they'll divide a certain percentage among schools. And then the remainder will be put into a pot for what deterrent was called success initiatives for the conference. Um, 
Michigan. So didn't get a chance to talk about Jim Harbaugh. So Michigan uh, self-imposed a three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. So over those three games, they'll engage in head coaching by committee. So Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, will uh, take over a half of one game. Running back coach, running backs coach Mike Hart will coach, and his son Jay, who is the special teams coordinator, they're all gonna at some point be head coach, either a game, a half a game, whatever. Blah 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 blah. Now, offensive coordinator Sharon Moore has been suspended for the opener, I believe, against East Carolina. I believe that's who they're playing. And they're going to elevate an analyst to fill in for him. Once he comes off of his suspension, I believe he will be the head coach for game two at the big house. So they've got four of their coordinators that will kind of rotate through the head coaching situation for Michigan. Uh, Again, I don't really have all of the latest on what's going on with Harbaugh. So remember, there was an issue where he was asked by the NCAA about a certain infractions he didn't really get into a whole lot of detail he wasn't talking a whole lot and that kind of also leads me to believe you know something ain't right but you know that's all i can glean from that nevertheless um that three game suspension i think is kind of the situation where if something's wrong michigan does look good by saying all right he's gonna sit for three games just so the NCAA will know that we're taking this serious because, you know, a lot of these institutions will just be like, well, if we didn't do it, if he said we didn't do anything, we didn't do anything. Then the notice of allegations comes down the pipe and then all hell breaks loose. And then the 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 the, uh, the program is then whatever program in question, then the NCAA drops a hammer on them. And then there we go. Another school that is in a similar situation, Arizona State. They have self-imposed a bowl ban for 2023. What this shows, so per the report, this shows that Arizona State, counter to what we just said, is acknowledging the severity of the NCAA investigation into numerous violations during the tenure of Herman Edwards. And man, it's a laundry list. So, And they only gave a few examples of some stuff. There's a video that shows Herm Edwards uh, walking a recruit around during a quiet period. They did some training violations during COVID. There was a period during the COVID-19 lockdown, you know, where they were playing, where players weren't supposed to be training. Um, There was improper contact with uh, recruits and so on and so forth. So this thing is a is a steadily expanding onion and it gets worse. Um, So this is kind of good because. Although it's a bowl ban, it's self-imposed. The players are disappointed, obviously. They said, you know, a lot of players like this is the year that we wanted to, you know, you know, get back on track, go to a bowl. That was the goal Um, for head coach Kenny Dillingham. It was a good thing because I think there's some provisions contract that because of this, I guess his and this is how I can kind of glean the language of this report. It's uh, he, I guess. discussed it with administration and said we're going to do a bowl ban and it kind of shows some level of uh, responsibility that they said you know within his contract he'll get he'll get another year extended onto his contract i think maybe because of the bowl ban um but arizona state is actually again they're heading this thing off of the past currently the ncaa has not given them a notice of allegations so they know what's happening They're waiting to hear from the NCAA 
And when it happens, hopefully by acknowledging, self-imposing this bowl ban, doing the things on the back end, hopefully that when the investigation is over, uh, there will not be any harsh, super harsh uh, uh, punishments by the NCAA because essentially um, because of the new, I think Charlie Baker is their new president. And one of the things, one of the new initiatives with the NCAA, they talked about trying to lessen the effect of violations and investigations on new head coaches. So hopefully some of that uh, reform will be taking place here. So again, this isn't Kelly, Kenny Dillingham's mess. This is Herm Edwards' mess. But they want to lessen the punishment on him and his team for the sins of the previous uh, head coach. So we'll see how it all comes down. But when the allegations come down, we'll hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll catch it. We'll talk it through and we'll see how bad it looks. But most of the things, I don't know what level. They sound like level one violations or level two violations. They're they're fairly serious. And of course, you know, Florida, uh, Arizona State wants to be in the position to compete for what Big 12 championships now <laughs> where they in the Big 12 now. But yeah, anyway, you get the idea. But they want to be in the position to go to bowls, compete for championships. And hopefully by doing all this, that will lessen the blow once the NCAA investigates and lays down uh, the punishments. All right, let's go to uh, last Saturday. So last Saturday. You know, only a handful of games. I picked two. Um, I went two and one. I think the only game I got wrong, and it was literally a coin flip. And it, it's crazy when I wrote down South Carolina State, Jackson State. I was excited to see that game, and I had been seeing a lot of talk about it on Twitter. Um, there's a with HBCU Nightly, they do a space, and I'd listen in from time to time. A lot of discussion. And I guess um, I probably needed to listen to a few more shows because, uh, you know, Jackson State went out and just destroyed uh, South Carolina State 37 to 7. I think I picked the other direction. Um, but anyway, I mean, I was bound to get one wrong, although Vandy in Hawaii was starting to look a little scary. Uh, Vandy wins 35-28. I was thinking Hawaii was going to get it handed to him. And for a while, Vandy was you know, really giving them the business, but Hawaii really struck back with some, with some force. They've got a really good quarterback. They've got some weapons. Um, year two in the Timmy Chang might not be terrible. I think they're going to get a little bit better, but to kind of lose by a touchdown to Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt is a team that, you know, they're trying to work their way up uh, in the SEC, you know, hiring Clark Lee was a really great hire and he's really, you know, pushing this team, you know, a little bit further along. Um, you know, Vanderbilt has been good. I mean, do you remember James Franklin? Yes, that James Franklin. He was at Vanderbilt, then he went to Penn State, but they were really good when he was there. And they, I think they can be very good again. And of course, man, Navy. Oh, my gosh. Um, first year under, it was head coach Brian Newberry. Couldn't think of his name, so apologies for that. Um, first year under him, he was defensive coordinator last year and man, they went and just got hammered by Navy. And really it was 42, nothing. It should have been 42, six. They got a new kicker, missed the field goal. He got the second field goal, but they just got mauled over in Dublin by Notre Dame. No surprise there. Um, I think Notre Dame was like a 30, were they a 30 point favorite in this one? So they went by 39. So you know, take that information better is how you want to take it. You know, you cashed in on that. 
but two and one for Saturday. So let's go to the Thursday night picks here because I'm going to pick Friday through Sunday on the Friday show. So Friday through Sunday slate, we'll get to that at the end of the week. Let's talk about the Thursday night games. 8 p.m. Both games are eight. First, we start on Fox. Uh, the Big Ten, Nebraska visits the Twin Cities to take on the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. Minnesota, seven-point favorites. I'm going to take uh, Minnesota. Remember that this is the new era for Nebraska. Uh, Matt Rule is their new head coach. And I've been hearing some really good things about you know what Nebraska's doing. Um, are they ready for prime time? I mean, yes, they're ready, but are they ready for this Minnesota team. this is, I think this game will probably be close. I think seven points or less is about right. I think Nebraska will come with it. I'm going to give Minnesota the edge here. And, I, you know, I've really been buying Minnesota for a number of years now. Um, P.J. Fleck, um, last year, Minnesota was kind of, I think, with about three weeks left to go in the season. I think they had an outside shot. They were just barely in the running to win the Big Ten West, and it just all fell apart at the end, and Purdue won and went to the Big 12, the Big, Big Ten Championship game. I think Minnesota still has some pieces there. Nebraska's retooled a little bit. They've got some guys. I'm going to go with Minnesota, although as I'm thinking about this, Nebraska is a little scary because I think they do have some weapons. Uh, Billy Kemp left Virginia and went to Nebraska. I think I totally missed that or forgot, but I'm going to take Minnesota. I'll take Minnesota close. 8 p.m. on ESPN, the return game from last season, Florida. So they, uh, the, the Gators had to fly out of uh, uh, Gainesville early because of the impending hurricane that's about to hit Florida. So they're going to land in Dallas, I think, today, spend the day in Dallas, and then head on to Salt Lake. They go to Rice-Eccles Stadium to take on the Utes of Utah. Utah, six-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going Utah on this one. Um, again, I think this will probably be a back and forth. It was back and forth last year. Um, I like Cam Rising. Uh, he gets Brent Keithy back, one of his uh, big targets, a tight end. Um, I think Utah's defense is a little underrated. I mean, but again, they're going up against what I think is going to be a speedy, challenging Florida team. So there's that SEC speed I spoke about. Again, I think it'll be close. I'll take Utah less than six and a half to win over florida we'll see how it goes watch i go oh and two i'm calling it now I, I i'm sticking with my picks i'm probably gonna go oh and two but that's what it's gonna be all right ladies and gentlemen thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of sports wagon podcast hit me up on instagram and twitter it's uncle dub i-t-s-u-n-c-l-e underscore d-u-b like rate subscribe to the show tell a friend if you're new to the show welcome start with today Work your way back. So many great episodes, a lot of great guests. Uh, we talk about everything from soup to nuts here. Uh, give me a five-star rating if you can. And until I talk to you later on the week, make sure you continue to protect yourself. The COVID numbers are going back up. Um, get ready for flu season. And also remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.